Chapter number twenty five of Dogs and All About Them. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Wiebke Müller. Dogs and All About Them by Robert Layton. Chapter twenty five. The Sporting Spaniel. Part one. One. The Spaniel Family. The spaniel family is without any doubt one of the most important of the many groups which are included in the canine race, not only on account of its undoubted antiquity and, compared with other families, its well-authenticated lineage, but also because of its many branches and subdivisions, ranging in size from the majestic and massive clumbers to the diminutive toys which we are accustomed to associate with fair ladies' labs and gaily decked pens at our big dog-shows moreover the different varieties of setters undoubtedly derive their origin from the same parent-stock since we find them described by the earlier sporting writers as setting or crouching spaniels in contradistinction to the finding or springing spaniel who flushed the game he found without setting or pointing it as time went on the setting variety was no doubt bred larger and longer in the leg with a view to increased pace but the spaniel-like head and coat still remain to prove the near connection between the two breeds all the different varieties of spaniels both sporting and toy have with the exception of the clumber and the irish water spaniel who is not despite his name a true spaniel at all a common origin though at a very early date we find them divided into two groups viz land and water spaniels and these two were kept distinct and bred to develop those points which were most essential for their different spheres of work the earliest mention of spaniels to be found in english literature is contained in the celebrated master of game the work of edward plantagenet second duke of york and master of game to his uncle henry the fourth to whom the work is dedicated it was written between the years fourteen hundred and six and fourteen hundred and thirteen and although none of the m s s of which some sixteen are in existence is dated this date can be fairly accurately fixed as the author was appointed master of game in the former and killed at agent court in the latter year his chapter on spaniels however is mainly a translation from the equally celebrated livre de chasse of gaston comte de foix generally known as gaston phobus which was written in thirteen hundred and eighty seven so that we may safely assume that spaniels were well known and habitually used as aids to the chase both in france and england as early as the middle of the fourteenth century in the eighteenth and early part of the nineteenth century the spaniel was described by many writers on sporting subjects but there is a great similarity in most of these accounts each author apparently having been content to repeat in almost identical language what had been said upon the subject by his predecessors without importing any originality or opinions of his own many of these works notwithstanding this defect are very interesting to the student of spaniel lore and the perusal of blaine's rural sports taplin's sporting dictionary and rural repository scott's sportsman's repository and nathan's complete sportsman can be recommended to all who wish to study the history of the development of the various modern breeds the works of the french writers de cormac de cherville blaise and Migna are well worth reading, while of late years the subject has been treated very fully by such British writers as the late J. H. Walsh, Stonehenge, Mr. Vero Shaw, Mr. Rawdon Lee, Colonel Claude Kane, and Mr. C. A. Phillips. 
Nearly all of the early writers, both French and English, are agreed that the breed came originally from Spain, and we may assume that such early authorities as Gaston Phoebus, Edward Plantagenet, and Dr. Caius had good reason for telling us that these dogs were called Spaniels because they came from Spain. The following distinct breeds or varieties are recognized by the Kennel Club. 1. Irish Water Spaniels 2. Water Spaniels other than Irish 3. Clumber Spaniels 4. Sussex Spaniels 5. Field Spaniels 6. English Springers 7. Welsh Springers 8. Cocker Spaniels Each of these varieties differs considerably from the others, and each has its own special advocates and admirers, as well as its own particular sphere of work for which it is best fitted though almost any spaniel can be made into a general utility dog which is perhaps one of the main reasons for the popularity of the breed two the irish water spaniel there is only one breed of dog known in these days by the name of irish water spaniel but if we are to trust the writers of no longer ago than half a century there were at one time two if not three breeds of water spaniels peculiar to the emerald isle these were the tweed water spaniel the northern water spaniel and the southern water spaniel the last of these being the progenitors of our modern strains the history of the irish water spaniel is in many ways a very extraordinary one according to the claim of mr justin mccarthy it originated entirely in his kennels and this claim has never been seriously disputed by the subsequent owners and breeders of these dogs it seems improbable that Mr. Justin McCarthy can actually have originated or manufactured a breed possessing so many extremely marked differences and divergences of type as the Irish Water Spaniel, but what he probably did was to rescue an old and moribund breed from impending extinction, and so improve it by judicious breeding and cross-breeding as to give it a new lease of life, and permanently fix its salient points and characteristics. However that may be, little seems to have been known of the breed before he took it in hand, and it is very certain that nearly every Irish water spaniel seen for the last half-century owes its descent to his old dog Boatswain, who was born in 1834 and lived for eighteen years. He must have been a grand old dog, since Mr. McCarthy gave him to Mr. Joliffe Tufnell in 1849, when he was fifteen years old, and his new owner subsequently bred by him Jack a dog whose name appears in many pedigrees it was not until eighteen hundred and sixty two that the breed seems to have attracted much notice in england but in that year the birmingham committee gave two classes for them in which however several of the prizes were withheld for want of merit the next few years saw these dogs making great strides in popularity and classes being provided at most of the important shows many good specimens were exhibited during the last few years however the breed seems to have been progressing the wrong way and classes at shows have not been nearly so strong either in numbers or in quality as they used to be yet there have been and are still quite a large number of good dogs and bitches to be seen and it only needs enthusiasm and cooperation among breeders to bring back the palmiest days of the irish water spaniel there is no member of the whole canine family which has a more distinctive personal appearance than the irish water spaniel with him it is a case of once seen, never forgotten, and no one who has ever seen one could possibly mistake him for anything else than what he is. His best friends probably would not claim beauty, in the ascetic sense, for him, but he is attractive in a quaint way, peculiarly his own, and intelligent-looking. 
in this particular his looks do not betray him he is in fact one of the most intelligent of all the dogs used in aid of the gun and in his own sphere one of the most useful that sphere there is no doubt is that indicated by his name and it is in a country of bogs and marshes like the south and west of ireland of which he was originally a native where snipe and waterfowl provide the staple sport of the gunner that he is in his element and seen at his best though no doubt he can do excellent work as an ordinary retriever and is often used as such but nature or mr mccarthy's art has specifically formed and endowed him for the amphibious sport indicated above and has provided him with an excellent nose an almost waterproof coat the sporting instincts of a true son of erin and above all a disposition full of good sense he is high couraged and at the same time adaptable to the highest degree of perfection in training his detractors often accuse him of being hard-mouthed but this charge is not well founded many a dog which is used to hunt or find game as well as to retrieve it will often kill a wounded bird or rabbit rather than allow it to escape while there are many irish water-spaniels who under normal circumstances are just as tender-mouthed as the most fashionable of black retrievers besides his virtues in the field the irish water-spaniel has the reputation a very well-founded one of being the best of pools most people are well acquainted with the personal appearance of this quaint-looking dog the points regarded as essential are as follows colour the colour should always be a rich dark liver or puce without any white at all any white except the slightest of shirt fronts should disqualify the nose of course should conform to the coat in colour and be dark brown head the head should have a capacious skull fairly but not excessively domed with plenty of brain room it should be surmounted with a regular top-knot of curly hair a most important and distinctive point this top-knot should never be square-cut or like a poodle's wig but should grow down to a well-defined point between the eyes eyes the eyes should be small dark and set up likely like a chinaman's ears the ears should be long strong in leather low-set heavily ringleted and from eighteen to twenty-four inches long according to size muzzle and jaw the muzzle and jaw should be long and strong there should be a decided stop but not so pronounced as to make the brows or forehead prominent neck the neck should be fairly long and very muscular shoulders the shoulders should be sloping most irish water spaniels have bad straight shoulders a defect which should be bred out chest the chest is deep and usually rather narrow but should not be so narrow as to constrict the heart and lungs back and loins the back and loins strong and arched forelegs the forelegs straight and well boned heavily feathered or ringleted all over hind legs the hind legs with hocks set very low stifles rather straight feathered all over except inside from the hocks down which part should be covered with short hair a most distinctive point feet the feet large and rather spreading as is proper for a water-dog well clothed with hair stern the stern covered with the shortest of hair except for the first couple of inches next the buttocks whip-like or string-like a most important point and carried low not like a hound's coat the coat composed entirely of short crisp curls not woolly like a poodle's and very dense if left to itself this coat mats or cords but this is not permissible in show-dogs the hair on the muzzle and forehead below the top-knot is quite short and smooth as well as that on the stern 
general appearance is not remarkable for symmetry but is quaint and intelligent looking height the height should be between twenty one and twenty three inches three the english water spaniel in the kennel club's register of breeds no place is allotted to this variety all water spaniels other than irish being classed together Despite this absence of official recognition, there is abundant evidence that a breed of spaniels legitimately entitled to the designation of English water spaniels has been in existence for many years, in all probability a descendant of the old water-dog, an animal closely resembling the French barbet, the ancestor of the modern poodle. They were even trimmed at times much in the same way as a poodle is nowadays, as Markham gives precise directions for the cutting or shearing him from the noil downwards or backward. The opinion expressed by the writer of The Sportsman's Cabinet, 1803, is that the breed originated from a cross between the large water-dog and the springing spaniel, and this is probably correct, though Jouart, a notable authority, thinks that the cross was with an English setter. Possibly some strains may have been established in this way, and not differ very much in make and shape from those obtained from the cross with the spaniel, as it is well known that setters and spaniels have a common origin. In general appearance, the dog resembles somewhat closely the springer, except that he may be somewhat higher on the leg, and that his coat should consist of crisp, tight curls, almost like astrakhan fur, everywhere except on his face, where it should be short. There should be no top-knot like that of the Irish Water Spaniel. 4. The Clumber Spaniel is in high favour in the Spaniel world, both with shooting men and exhibitors, and the breed well deserves from both points of view the position which it occupies in the public esteem. No other variety is better equipped mentally and physically for the work it is called upon to do in the aid of the gun, and few, certainly none of the Spaniels, surpass or even equal it in appearance. As a sporting dog, the clumber is possessed of the very best of noses, a natural inclination both to hunt his game and retrieve it when killed, great keenness and perseverance, wonderful endurance and activity, considering his massive build, and as a rule is very easy to train, being highly intelligent and more docile and biddable. The man who owns a good dog of this breed, whether he uses it as a retriever for driven birds, works it in a team, or uses it as his sole companion when he goes gunning, possesses a treasure. The great success of these spaniels in the field trials promoted by both the societies which foster those most useful institutions is enough to prove this, and more convincing still is the tenacity with which the fortunate possessor of old strains, mostly resident in the immediate neighbourhood of the original home of the breed, have held on to them and continue to breed and use them year after year for many generations. As a show-dog, his massive frame, powerful limbs, pure white coat, with its pale lemon markings and frecklings, and, above all, his solemn and majestic aspect, mark him out as a true aristocrat, with all the beauty of refinement which comes from a long line of cultured ancestors. All research so far has failed to carry the history back any further than the last quarter of the eighteenth century. About that time the Duc de Noailles presented some spaniels, probably his whole kennel, which he brought from France, to the second Duke of Newcastle, from whose place, Clumber Park, the breed has taken its name. Beyond this it seems impossible to go. Indeed, the Clumber seems to be generally looked upon as a purely English breed. From Clumber Park specimens found their way to most of the other great houses in the neighbourhood, notably to Althorpe Park, Wellbeck Abbey, Birdsall House, 
Thorsby Hall and Osberton Hall. It is from the kennels at the last-named place, owned by Mr. Foljamb, that most of the progenitors of the clumber which have earned notoriety derived their origin. Nearly all the most famous show-winners of early days were descended from Mr. Foljamb's dogs, and his bow may perhaps be considered one of the most important pillars of the stud, as he was the sire of Nabob, a great prize-winner, and considered one of the best of his day, who belonged at various times during his career to such famous showmen as Messrs. Phineas Bullock, Mr. Fletcher, Mr. Rawdon Lee, and Mr. G. Oliver. There has been a great deal of lamentation lately among old breeders and exhibitors about the decadence of the breed and the loss of the true old type possessed by these dogs. But, despite all they can say to the contrary, the clumber is now in a more flourishing state than it ever has been, and although perhaps we have not now, nor have had for the last decade, a John O'Gaunt or a Tower, there have been a large number of dogs thrown during that time who possessed considerable merit, and would probably have helped their own even in the days of these bygone heroes. Some of the most notable have been Baye Friar, Beechgrove Donnelly, Goring of Auchentorley, Hampstead Toby, and Preston Schott, who all earned the coveted title of champion. The field trials have no doubt had a great deal to do with the largely augmented popularity of the breed and the great increase in the number of those who own clumbers. For the first two or three years after these were truly established, no other breed seemed to have a chance with them, and even now, though both English and Welsh springers have done remarkably well, they more than hold their own. The most distinguished performer by far was Mr. Winton Smith's Beechgrove B, a bitch whose work was practically faultless, and the first field trial champion among spaniels. Other good clumbers who earned distinction in the field were Beechgrove Minette, Beechgrove Maud, the Duke of Portland's Welbeck Sambo, and Mr. Phillips' Rivington Honey, Rivington Pearl, and Rivington Reel. The points and general description of the breed, as published by both the Spaniel Club and the Clumber Spaniel Club, are identical. They are as follows. Head. Large, square, and massive. Of medium length, broad on top, with a decided occupant. Heavy brows with a deep stop, heavy freckled muzzle with well-developed flue. Eyes. Dark amber, slightly sunk. A light or prominent eye objectionable. Ears. Large, vine-leaf-shaped, and well-covered with straight hair and hanging slightly forward, the feather not to extend below the leather. Neck. Very thick and powerful, and well-feathered underneath. Body, including size and symmetry. Long and heavy, and near the ground. Weight of dogs about 55 pounds to 65 pounds. Bitches about 45 pounds to 55 pounds. Nose. Square and flesh-coloured. Shoulders and chest. Wide and deep, shoulders strong and muscular. Back and loin. Back straight, broad and long. Loin powerful, well let down in flank. Hind quarters. Very powerful and well developed. Stern. Set low, well feathered and carried about level with the back. Feet and legs. Feet large and round, well covered with hair. Legs short, thick and strong. Hocks low. Coat. Long, abundant, soft, and straight. Color. Plain white with lemon markings. Orange permissible but not desirable. Slight head markings with white body preferred. General appearance. 
should be that of a long low heavy very massive dog with a thoughtful expression four the sussex spaniel this is one of the oldest of the distinct breeds of land spaniels now existing in the british islands and probably also the purest in point of descent since it has for many years past been confined to a comparatively small number of kennels the owners of which have always been at considerable pains to keep their strains free from any admixture of foreign blood the modern race of sussex spaniels as we know it owes its origin in the main to the kennel kept by mr fuller at rosehill park brightling near hastings this gentleman who died in eighteen hundred and forty seven is said to have kept his train for fifty years or more and to have shot over them almost daily during the season but at his death they were dispersed by auction and none of them can be traced with any accuracy except a dog and a bitch which were given at this time to ralph the head-keeper ralph survived his master for forty years and kept up his interest in the breed to the last he used to say that the golden tinge peculiar to the rosehill breed came from a bitch which had been mated with a dog belonging to dr watts of battle and that every now and then what he termed a sandy pub would turn up in her litters owing to an outbreak of dumb madness in the rosehill kennels a very large number of its occupants either died or had to be destroyed and this no doubt accounted for the extreme scarcity of the breed when several enthusiasts began to revive it about the year eighteen hundred and seventy mr saxby and mr marchant are said to have had the same strain as that at rosehill and certainly one of the most famous sires who is to be found in most sussex pedigrees was buckingham by marchant's rover out of saxby's fan it was from the union of buckingham who was claimed to be pure rosehill with bebb's daughter peggy that the great bachelor resulted a dog whose name is to be found in almost every latter-day pedigree though mr campbell newington's strain to which has descended the historic prefix rosehill contains less of this blood than any other about eighteen hundred and seventy-nine mr t jacobs of newton abbott took up this breed with great success owning amongst other good specimens russet dolly brunette and bachelor the third the latter a dog whose services at the stud cannot be estimated too highly when this kennel was broken up in eighteen hundred and ninety one the best of the sussex spaniels were acquired by mr wooland and from that day this gentleman's kennel carried all before it until it in turn was broken up and dispersed in nineteen hundred o five so successful was mr wooland that one may almost say that he bet all other competitors of the field though one of them mr campbell newington stuck most gallantly to him all through mr campbell newington has been breeding sussex spaniels for over a quarter of a century with an enthusiasm and tenacity worthy of the warmest admiration and his strain is probably the purest and more full of the original blood than any other his kennel has always maintained a very high standard of excellence and many famous rose specimens have come from it notably rosehill ruler the second a splendid sussex scarcely inferior to britford giddy romulus rowan rita rush rock rag and rangy and many others of almost equal merit Colonel Claude Kane's kennel of Sussex, started from a Wooland-bred foundation, has been going for some seventeen years, the best he has shown being Jonathan Swift, Selbridge Eldorado, and Selbridge Chrysolite. The breed has always had a good character for work, and most of the older writers who mention them speak of Sussex Spaniels in very eulogistic terms. They are rather slow workers, but thoroughly conscientious and painstaking, and are not afraid of any amount of thick covert, 
through which they will force their way and seldom leave anything behind them a well-bred sussex spaniel is a very handsome dog indeed his beautiful colour alone is enough to make his appearance an attractive one even if he were unsymmetrical and ungainly in his proportions this colour known as golden liver is peculiar to the breed and is the great touchstone and hallmark of purity of blood no other dog has exactly the same shade of coat which the word liver hardly describes exactly as it is totally different from the ordinary liver colour of an irishman a pointer or even a liver field spaniel it is rather a golden chestnut with a regular metallic sheen as of burnished metal showing more especially on the head and face and everywhere where the hair is short this is very apparent when a dog gets his new coat in time of course it is liable to get somewhat bleached by sun and weather when it turns almost yellow every expert knows this colour well and looks for it at once when judging a class of sussex the description of the breed given by the spaniel club is as follows head the skull should be moderately long and also wide with an indentation in the middle and a full stop brows fairly heavy occiput full but not pointed the whole giving an appearance of heaviness without dullness eyes hazel colour fairly large soft and languishing not showing the haw over much nose the muzzle should be about three inches long square and the lips somewhat pendulous the nostrils well developed and liver coloured ears thick fairly large and lobe-shaped set moderately low but relatively not so low as in the black field spaniel carried close to the head and furnished with soft wavy hair neck is rather short strong and slightly arched but not carrying the head much above the level of the back there should not be much throatiness in the skin but well marked frill in the coat chest and shoulders the chest is round especially behind the shoulders deep and wide giving a good girth the shoulders should be oblique back and back ribs the back and loin are long and should be very muscular both in width and depth for this development the back ribs must be deep the whole body is characterized as low long level and strong legs and feet the arms and thighs must be bony as well as muscular knees and hocks large and strong pastons very short and bony feet large and round and with short hair between the toes the legs should be very short and strong with great bone and may show a slight bend in the forearm and be moderately well feathered the hind legs should not be apparently shorter than the forelegs or be too much bent at the hocks so as to give a settery appearance which is so objectionable the hind legs should be well feathered above the hocks but should not have much hair below that point the hocks should be short and wide apart tail should be docked from five to seven inches set low and not carried above the level of the back thickly closed with moderately long feather coat body coat abundant flat or slightly waved with no tendency to curl moderately well feathered on legs and stern but clean below the hocks colour rich golden liver this is a certain sign of the purity of the breed dark liver or puce denoting unmistakably a recent cross with the black or other variety of field spaniel general appearance rather massive and muscular but with free movements and nice tail action denoting a tractable and cheerful disposition weight from thirty five pounds to forty five pounds end of chapter twenty five the sporting spaniel part one